Well, it is tough. I, I think we in this time we're all becoming a little bit more Martin Lloyd Joneses, you know, who who infamously um, kind of didn't want sermons initially recorded and things of that sort, but thought of preaching as an event that happened immediately between preacher and people. And uh, I think we're seeing something of the wisdom of that we, in, in sort of being estranged by the virus and reduced to the technology that, that the sort of human connection um, has to be more imagined than, than real uh, in the preaching event now. And that's, that's a different kind of work. It's not quite the work that the preacher normally does. Um, but, but we now have to deliver the sermon, and I hope we still are delivering the sermon, even to the camera. We have to deliver it um, imagining and trusting um, that there's a connection on the other end that is, that is meaningful and helpful. Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and this is episode 165. Well, the voice that you just heard is Pastor Tabidi Anyabile, and uh, he's a guy that I've been like learning from and benefiting from for, yeah, almost 20 years. And so it was a real privilege to be able to speak to him on Zoom. Uh, we speak about the, the Crete Collective, we speak about constructive criticism, and also cultivating a sense of serious joy. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you listen in to this uh, encouraging and stimulating conversation uh, with Pastor Tabidi. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I am I'm really honored. I'm personally excited to be able to speak to uh, Pastor Tabidi Anyuabile. Uh, good morning and welcome. Hey, brother. It's so good to be with you. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on on the Expositors Collective podcast. And kind of maybe the first thing, like I want to talk to you about preaching in in a few moments' time. But on the Expositors Collective, uh, we have here a representative of the Crete Collective. Uh, would you would you mind just explaining to our hearers what the Crete Collective is? Thank you, brother. The Crete Collective is a new uh, network aimed at planting churches and revitalizing churches in neglected black and brown neighborhoods in the U.S. And so you think about the inner cities of the U.S., um, housing communities in the U.S., uh, public housing communities in the U.S., other places that have been really distressed by uh, poverty and neglect, by crime and poor education and other resources. Um, we, we think that there's a real hole in the work of church planting in the U.S. in that much of what goes on in church planning, we, we're thrilled about it. We're glad for it, but it's not happening in neighborhoods that are pre- predominantly black and brown communities, whether those are African or Caribbean immigrants or African-American or Hispanic or var- varieties of Asian cultures. And they're not only not happening in uh, ethnic communities, it's not happening in the intersection of, of ethnic and poor communities. And so the Creek Collective exists to plant churches and support churches in those contexts um, so that we see the gospel go forward and the kingdom advance in those places. Wow. Oh, a, a noble a noble aim. Would you mind explaining maybe those two words, like why Crete? And yeah. what about, obviously I'm interested in the word collective, but, uh, but yeah, so, so why Crete? Yeah, well, that's where Paul leaves Titus. 
And uh, in, in the letter of Titus, which is the closest thing to a church planting manual I think we have in the New Testament. Um, and Crete has a reputation, doesn't it? Uh, mm. It's probably not the place where Titus <laughs> wished to be left. Yeah. Um, there are some uh, people there who we might regard as hard or difficult people. Um, there's a Paul makes some, some rather sharp comments about the culture of the place. But for us, it's a reminder that, that God means for his word to go to what humans might consider to be hard places. And Crete was just such a place. And for us, it, it stands in as symbolic of the kinds of neighborhoods that God has not forsaken, but too many Christians and churches have forsaken. Yeah, and of course, collective, we, we think it takes the whole church to do this work. So we're not an organization that's made up only of black and brown churches. There, there are white churches, there are churches in all kinds of settings, suburban churches and so on, who work together to contribute to this mission. We, we think it takes the whole church to reach the whole world. Um, and so we are, we are focused on one part of that missionally, but in terms of the collective, we're locking arms with um, Christian churches of, of varieties of backgrounds to, to see this happen. Uh, well, well, fantastic. I know, I know we're here to talk about preaching, but I just didn't want to lose an opportunity to, to talk about that and to introduce our hearers to what I think is a very worthy and wonderful uh, initiative. Um, okay, now, uh, Tabidi, would you mind explaining to us or bringing us uh, into your, your history, your past? Um, when was the first time that you ever like, preached a sermon or taught the Bible? <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't know if it rises to the level of a sermon, uh, okay. but uh, there was a year I was a, I'd been probably a Christian for two or three years, okay. and was invited to a church in my hometown to come back and speak to their youth. And I thought it was going to be a gathering of young people in the church basement or something, maybe twenty twenty five young people, and we would you know have a fairly informal conversation about the Bible, and I would hear their questions and engage them. Well, I got there that Sunday morning, and uh, the lady who had invited me met me out at the steps, um, a little bit panicked because I was running a few minutes late. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I said, "Well, where are the kids? Are they in the basement?" She said, "Oh, no, 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 sweetheart, you are the morning preacher." <laughs> and I nearly had a heart attack, um, yeah. but I I jumped back in the car. And, and sort of started reworking my notes. And I preached John 4 that morning, um, the woman at the well. And um, after the sermon, uh, an older woman comes up to me and uh, she says, baby, um, where are you in your calling? And, and I thought, I don't even know what that means. Okay. I hadn't been a Christian long enough to know what, what she was talking about. And yeah, so I, yeah, said, yeah. I said something rather cliche. I, you know, well, I'm trying to grow and I'm not what I used to be. Da, 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 da. Better than I ought to be. Not That's as good as I ought to be, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so she says to me, no, 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 baby. I I think you might have a calling to preach. Wow. And I kind of chuckled politely and assured her that she was mistaken. And um, not long after that, the Lord began to really draw me uh, toward the ministry. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you had some kind of thoughts. Already, you, you, you arrived that Sunday morning with some thoughts prepared on John mm-hmm. chapter 4 already. Yeah, we were we were basically just going to walk through it, okay. um, kind of line by line, and just have a little back and forth and um, talk about the themes and the content there. Um, but it was going to be a very sort of organic conversation with with youth. Yeah, uh, yeah, not not anything approaching a sermon. And so, but praise God! Wow, 
Wow. And so when like in between when you close in prayer and you, you finished your, your sermon and before that, that woman caught you, um, what, what were you thinking? How did you think it went? <laughs> I was relieved. I had no idea how it went. I just thought, oh, uh, we made it through uh, a Sunday morning. I, I managed, I think, to be faithful to what the, what the Bible says here, what the text says here. Um, and you know, if if you if you ever preach in a traditional African American congregation, the congregation arrives understanding that it has a job. Mm-hmm. It, it, its job is to help the preacher. Okay. Uh, and so yeah. and so it was a congregation giving me lots of helps by by yeah. way of amens and nods. And so I I knew it wasn't completely terrible. Okay. Um, but I didn't know I didn't know how it stands up. And it's interesting e- even today when I preach, I don't really know how the sermon. Um, I don't leave the pulpit feeling confident that the sermon landed um, the way I would hope and the way I've prayed. That that for me is an act of faith. I have to trust that to the Lord. Um, But uh, I was mostly standing there relieved when that, when the woman came up and and, and greeted me and uh, thanked me for the word and, and heard things in it that I wasn't aware of in terms of God's own working. And so that was, that was encouraging. Yeah. Well, that sounds like, uh, to some degree, unique. I've I've preached a lot of sermons, and no one's come up and called me baby afterwards. <laughs> so, so I see that there is there's some cultural there's some cultural I, differences. I was, that's exactly right. I was a much younger man, and she was an older woman. So yeah. everybody's baby to you when you're the, the older woman in the church. <laughs> yeah, and and maybe we can circle back to this like like later on because I know in your in your current context, um, you and, and and me as well. You know, church is entirely online. Line, both here in Ireland and and there and there in DC. Um, so you were saying that there's the lack. You know, you're, you said that you feel um, a little bit like uh, unsure is probably the wrong word, but you know, there that you're missing out on that like affirmation or that help from the congregation. Um, I, I find this to be very challenging <laughs> um, yeah. To, yeah. to be to be preaching just to a webcam or to a video camera. And trusting that God in His Spirit is applying truth um, across YouTube um, to to the viewers, but uh, it's a very challenging time. How how are you finding that? Well, it is tough. I, I think we in this time we're all becoming a little bit more Martin Lloyd Joneses, you know, who who infamously um, kind of didn't want sermons initially recorded and things of that sort, but thought of preaching as an event that happened immediately between preacher and people. And uh, I think we're seeing something of the wisdom of that we, in, in sort of being estranged by the virus and reduced to the technology that, that the sort of human connection um, has to be more imagined than, than real uh, in the preaching event now. And that's, that's a different kind of work. It's not quite the work that the preacher normally does. Um, but, but we now have to deliver the sermon, and I hope we still are delivering the sermon even to the camera, we have to deliver it um, imagining and trusting um, that there's a connection on the other end that is, that is meaningful and helpful. And just practically on our side, we, we premiere our services on YouTube, and uh, we use the chat function during the, during the YouTube service. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting to sit, watch yourself preach, and see how people are commenting and responding yeah, uh, yeah. in the chat function. And that's the closest we can get right now. To that real world interaction. I know, I know, and 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 I found that you know it's been at at the point of recording, it's been fifty two weeks, so we're heading into our fifty third week um, of of this, and I I found 
you know, 50, 51 weeks ago, the chat was lit, you know, everyone was, everyone, That's you know, right. hey, right. each family is saying hi and, you know, love that song, praise God, good point, this and that. And then now it's, it's, a, it's kind of a lot, even, even that tiny minimal breadcrumb of interaction has gotten less and less, um, I found over the, over these months and over this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and we do the same thing. We, we do the premiere. So I, I usually record on Thursday and then the editor works with it and it gets combined with the various musicians and then it goes live on Sunday. But a couple days ago, it, it actually just didn't work. It was, oh, the no. file got corrupted. And so it was, you know, Sunday morning and there was nothing and there was oh, nothing. No. And I was, I was with my family in my pajamas and... <laughs> And, and the, the, you know, the video was there and like people in the church are there saying like, where, where is it? What's going on? And I'm like, hang on guys. And I just went and put on a button up shirt, comb my hair. And, and thankfully I had my notes still. Um, I didn't have to go print fresh notes. Mm. So it was my notes that already had the underlines and the arrows and the highlights. Wow. And I just checked to make sure that all three pages were there. Whoa. And didn't even read through and just one of those like Nehemiah prayers, like help me Lord. And then just push live and, and then went, but that was, that was um, more interactive. <laughs> you know, it actually was live and there was people that were actually experiencing it um, together. So. Oh, gives, gives new meaning to be instant in season and out of season, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> be, be ready in pajamas and out of pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <but. laughs> I, yeah. And I was, I was, I was halfway in pajamas, halfway out. I had sweatpants on and a collared shirt. Uh, sorry. Anyway, this is not the, the Mike Neglia interview, but, uh, just wanted to, to throw that in there. Um, so, okay. So that was the first time John four, and you said that you experienced kind of a call to preach in, in the weeks afterwards or the months afterwards? Yeah, it, it was interesting, man. So that, that invitation um, kind of nested together with, uh, clustered together with a, a few other invitations that I was starting to get to churches to speak at various programs. So another church in a different city invited me to speak during African American History Month. Um, and, and after the course of about four or five such events, with in most of those places, people saying a very similar thing to, as to that older woman is that you should really think about preaching. I, I sort of began, I, I felt compelled to actually start thinking about it. And so I spent several months just combing through the scriptures, thinking about calling, thinking about um, preaching and speaking and prophets, began to talk with um, my pastor at the time, Peter Rochelle, and he began to give me opportunities at our, at our own church. And uh, along the way, the congregation was just affirming that sense of, of calling and, and gifting. And I sort of came kicking and screaming to it. I, okay. I had um, an aversion to uh, some of the preachers you see on television and some of the things that they do to mishandle the word and to mislead people. And I thought, I don't want to be associated with that, Lord. I'll lead all the Bible studies you want. I'll go do guest preaching, but please don't make me a pastor and a preacher. Um, and, you know, the Lord kind of chuckled, I'm sure. And, uh, and so after a few months of wrestling with this, I remember coming out of my office and um, at home office and my wife was coming down the stairs at the, right at the door of the office. And I was very sort of, you know, sober minded and, and, and grave, even thinking about these holy things. And I came out and I said to my wife, I, I think I have something to tell you. And she sits down and she's about to go on a jog. She puts her running shoes on and, you know, without looking up, she says, what's that? I said, um, I think the Lord is calling me to preach. You know, I'm just sort of delivering this as, you know, gently and soberly yeah, as yeah. possible. And she bursts out laughing. 
And so now, now I'm shook. Now I'm, now I'm, 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 un, I'm uncertain. And I said, well, why are you laughing? And she chuckles. She says, everybody knows that. We've just been waiting on you. Oh. And so, <laughs> and oh, praise God. So, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it was grace. And, and, and thus began a, a more forward leaning into um, the call to preach and to serve in this way. Wow. Well, yeah. So kind of the next thing I'd like to hear is like, is how, how do you think you've grown since, since then, since there was like a, since you finally agreed with everybody else that God has called you to do so, to, to, to preach, like what were the steps that you took to, to improve in that calling? And we know that there's like a supernatural calling, but natural abilities combined and it's a gift, but also something that you grow in. What was the process of you growing? Uh, thank you for that question. I hope I've grown. I mean, that's, that's the honest answer. Um, and I think to the extent that I have grown, um, the bulk of that has been through sitting under good preaching. Um, and so I mentioned Peter Rochelle, who was my, my first pastor as a Christian, uh, an exceptional expositor. Uh, he was doing exposition before I knew the word and, and was the one who really introduced me to uh, handling the scripture that way. So sitting under his preaching, and he has a, a remarkable gift for making the scripture clear. Um, and so he, he became, my, became my first sort of model of clarity in preaching, and I, I strive for that still. And then in God's providence, we moved to Washington, D.C., where I became a member at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and sat for six years or so under the preaching of Mark Dever there. And uh, Mark is an exceptional expositor. And this almost Puritan-esque way of meditating on a text and applying it and twisting it and turning it into the heart. And so Mark began to, to sort of be a model for me of, of how to preach with a, a warm mind and, and a pastoral heart. Um, applying the scripture in in various ways. And so I think I began to learn to preach sitting under preaching. Uh, The the second part that was helpful for me was actually taking the opportunities to preach, right? So preaching is one of those things that you you don't get better at unless you do it. It's like shooting uh, Americans. I I love basketball. And it's it's like shooting free throws. Um, You have to shoot them over and over and over again and make small adjustments. Um, in order to do that. And one of the ways that uh, my time at Capitol Hill was helpful is every Lord's Day at night after the evening service, they'll have what's called a service review. And so they'll review every element of the service from the day, the, both the morning and the evening, and they'll give feedback to the preacher. Now, that, that can be an excruciating experience if you're not used to getting feedback. Right. Um, but as you sort of learn to accept feedback and you learn to chew the fish and spit out the bones... Uh, and learn to sort of patiently maybe adjust one thing instead of trying to become a whole different pe- preacher, um, you began to grow. And that, and that process uh, was really helpful for me. So the, the combination of regular repetition in preaching and getting regular feedback from more seasoned preachers um, was, was hugely helpful. Uh, I think the last thing I will say in terms of growing as a preacher, I think it's really important that yes, there are things we need to do technically that help us as preachers that we should learn and invest in. But I think the folks who 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 are best suited to teach us to preach are actual congregations. Okay. And so listening to our congregation, to the feedback, uh, listening and observing what's happening in their lives spiritually, um, praying for them as we're reading the text and exegeting the text and keeping them in heart, carrying them on our, on our breasts, as it were, yeah. our breastplate, as it were. Um, that process of beginning to blend your life with a particular people in a particular place 
will teach you to preach not just abstractly, but teach you to preach to the actual persons the Lord has entrusted you to. And so it's been the congregations that I've had the privilege of shepherding who have, who have taught me the most about preaching in a place and becoming the better preacher by connecting with those actual persons. And that, that's just vital because we're not, we're not preaching into the ether, are we? We're not, we're not yeah. preaching into the podcast. We, we should be preaching to persons that the Lord has entrusted us to. And that, that form of contextualization, I think, is vital for helping us grow as preachers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's, there's a, a bunch of stuff, all three of those things. I'd love to, to drill into to each one of those. You know, actually, we, we were saying before we hit records, you know, that I, I live in Ireland and I've been listening to your sermons for, for quite a long time, but you're not preaching to me. Like, I'm, I'm overhearing. I'm, I get to listen in on this contextualized message that isn't for me, but, it, but it's, it's good for me, but it's not aimed at me. And, and that's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. Amen. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Yep. Amen. Thank you for that. That's encouraging. Um, so I'd love to I'd love to hear more about this like Sunday evening review um, that took place at, at Capitol Hill uh, Baptist. Uh, I guess I guess how did you get invited into it, or did you just kind of show up in, in DC and say you know the Lord's called me to preach and I'd, I'd like to get invited into this program, or what's that system like? No, it's more coercive than that. Uh, so this is a this is something that all the staff and the um, and the interns um, are are required to attend. Okay, um, it, it's a joyful time. It's, it's required, but it's also a great joy. And then there are others who are um, perhaps interested in preaching, or maybe they were a member of the church who gave the the short message on a Sunday night, who were invited to come as well. Um, and it's just part of one of the ways that one of the tools that Mark uses to, to train pastors and mm. to train to train preachers. And so it's it's after the evening service, so it's about a eight eight o'clock at night Sunday night meeting, and it's normally about an hour hour and a half. And um, basically, you take out the the order of service from each of the services, and you walk through each element. And each person uh, gets to comment briefly on each element. So the singing, what do we do well? What 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 really seemed to move us? Um, the the scripture reading and the prayers, sort of comments and reflections there. Um, and and then of course the the sermon itself, which tends to be a lengthier conversation, um, where you get feedback on technical things from the structure of the sermon to gestures or verbal tics or any anything of that sort to the actual substantive content of the sermon. Um, this point you made here was really clear, or this point, um, well, I wish if you preach this again, spend a little bit more time here, or I wasn't really clear on this application you made. So you, you have this back and forth yeah. um, uh, about the sermon, and, and that becomes part of the, the, the sort of fodder that you have for going away and continuing to process the sermon with the Lord after it's been preached, and to sort of parlay that into, as I said, some slight adjustments or ideas as you go forward to the next sermon in that way. Wow. Well, you were you mentioned that your that first sermon that you preached, you know, had a very like supportive, or the, the congregation was there to to help you and to encourage you, and that that kind of being a mark of the African American churches. Uh, does that seem like a big contrast to what you were experiencing in DC where there is like a more critical view of the sermon more than just like, Hey, good job. Praise God. Yeah. Um, so the, the intentionality of critique it in, in DC at Capitol Baptist church, that, that was the first time I've been in a church that, um, 
was was that intentional uh, in providing critique and feedback? And the first time, I, I honestly, the first time I sat through a service review where I had been the preacher, yeah, I le- I left that meeting thinking I don't ever want to preach again, <laughs> right? You know, I, I I preached my heart out, and yeah, yeah. Uh, this guy just told me about a split <laughs> infinitive. I, I you know. <laughs> Uh, and so it, it can be a little disorienting if you're not coming from a culture that, that prizes critique in that way. But if you stick with it, you settle down. And again, if you, if you sort of realize that, oh, no, nobody here is asking me to be a different preacher this Sunday um, or necessarily at all. They're just trying to encourage and help me. Uh, and everybody here is actually for me. Then you begin to sort of hear differently and process differently. And, and at least that was, that was certainly my experience. And if I contrast that with the, the traditional African-American churches I had grown up in, there, there's just great appreciation for pastors and preachers and great honor and respect and deference. Um, and so you, you, would, you, would, you get a lot of encouragement. It's an encouragement-rich mm. community. Yeah. And so you would get a lot of encouragement verbally during the sermon, you know, at the door, after the service. Um, you would have to have done something pretty significantly wrong um, for someone to say, "Hey, let me talk to you for a minute." <laughs> you know, to do yeah, to do yeah. an Aquila and Priscilla and say, "Hey, let me explain the way of the Lord more perfectly to you." Um, and so it's just a different a different culture. I think they both prize encouragement, but they come packaged mm. in different ways in that sense. Wow. Yeah, I, I know it's not the same the same culture, but we've we've some Nigerians in our congregation here, and man, like the 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 joy that they have in in, in hearing God's word and the celebratory aspect of it, I just yeah, I, I could I could preach to them all day long. Uh, oh man, it, it sets you free, doesn't it? You know, it does. You, you, it does. You, <laughs> you forget your manuscript and you just start leaning into what the Lord has shown you uh, and what the Spirit is bringing to mind and, and you you let go and you preach with great freedom. And that that's a good thing. That's a really good thing because I think there are uh, preaching traditions that are, are much more stilted mm-hmm. um, and sometimes confuse that stiltedness with carefulness. Um, and, um, and, and precision, and that's not always the case. And so I, I do think that we should be asking the Lord to give us unction. Um, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to, to really uh, anoint us and give us joy and freedom in preaching the, the, the Holy Word of God. I mean, we get to speak for an, an infinite God and to, to tell the world of His excellencies. That that should awaken something in us. Uh, doesn't mean that we all have to have the same personality. Yeah. But it should it should awaken that personality we do have. Yeah. Yeah. And you speak about like the the unction, which is it's too bad that that word has has fallen out of fashion. I think it's a wonderful word, uh, but uh, it hasn't caught on, or or maybe it <laughs> fell off, it stopped trending back in seventeen whatever. That's uh, right. But but there is like yeah, you talk about that joy. But but yet, as someone who has you know listened to to many of your sermons over the past decade or, or decade and a half, uh, you're you also like you have a real solemnity uh, to you as well, and and it's not it's not dour, it's not <clears throat> it's not just only negative, but there is like you carry like a, a reverence or a, or a seriousness about about the text and, and the holiness of God that is uh, it's it's rare in certain circles. So uh, do you want to? I don't know. I, I, I was going to say, if you want to bring us into that a little bit, but that can't. That that implies that it can be something that could be put on or or could be faked. But how how can there be that serious joy in your preaching? 
Yeah, that's a wonderful question. The, the first time I, I used that phrase, that combination of phrases, is, is with my first worship pastor in a previous church. I, I said something along the lines of, you know, wanting to convey a sense of serious joy, and he burst out laughing. Because oh. uh, in his mind, th- those things were like oxymorons. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be serious, then you're not joyful. If yeah. you're going to be joyful, you're not serious. And I thought, no, 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 no. These things perfectly coexist, and they must in the presence of a holy God, handling holy things, right? Uh, if we are his holy people. Um, so part of that for me is, um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, people are surprised when they learn this, but I, I'm a rather serious person in terms of my, my own cast of mind. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert, and I'm one of those introverts that, that just cringes at the thought of small talk and you know those kinds of things. So I've just been that way. Um, and yet, and yet I'm, I'm very happy thinking, I'm very happy pressing into an idea. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 50 pounds ago. I was an athlete too. I'm a former athlete and, and I love intensity. I love, I love it. Uh, I'm addicted to a kind of intensity and that comes with me to the study of God's word. It comes with me to preaching. And when you think about growing, I mean, one of the things I've had to grow in is actually dialing that back. Oh. Because um, many folks would mistake that for anger, um, and I wasn't angry; I was intense, right? Okay. And mm-hmm. um, if you don't know me very well, you don't know the difference, right? I, so I've, I've sometimes had my wife have to be a translator between me and my children. You know, I, I'll, I'll look at if I've been studying. You know, I've got an eyebrow raise. I'll look up at the kids and say something, and and my wife will say almost immediately, he, "He's not angry." You know, he's like, he's like, I was like, oh, let me fix my face. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no, no, mm-hmm. sweetheart. And so, um, I've had to learn to pull that back, and I've I've prayed for and asked the Lord to give me um, better facility at a wider range of expressiveness. You know, to include more humor, more more lightness, um, as, as well as the you know the soberness, um, to 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 sort of travel the range a bit because that's. God has given us all of that, right? Um, and and we're meant to engage God with all of that. And sometimes my preaching is in too narrow an emotional band, I think. Um, and so I, I want to grow in that way. I want to I want to develop in that way. So part of it's just natural frame, but the other part of it, brother, by God's grace, is I really do believe God exists, and I really do believe He's holy, and I I really do believe He's involved in our lives and he's present in the preaching moment. And I really do believe we owe him reverence. Um, and I, I really do believe he's not to be trifled with. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I, I, I think we should fear the Lord, not in that sort of servile cowarding sort of fear, but we should have a deep and profound respect for the one we are addressing and the one who's addressing us in the preaching moment. And so I don't like flippancy and shallowness and things of that sort if it defines the message, right? Uh, again, if it's a commercial break where you tell mm-hmm. a, an aside, that's fine. Yeah. But if but if that defines what we're doing in the pulpit, um, I, I grieve at that. I grieve at that thought um, because we're talking about infinite and eternal things in, in the place of the infinite and eternal one to people who really need to know him. And, um, and, and that, that possesses me. And when I think about preaching. Yeah. 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 If, if God exists, that changes everything. And and if he is who he says he is, yeah, then, then 
we should not be flippant nor trite. I've, I've right. never heard that phrase that you used, um, like a, a commercial break um, for, mm. but uh, I, I love it. Did, did you make that up or? That... Oh, well, no, I probably, no, I probably heard it from some other preacher. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Well, I never but, heard it, but that's, that's good too, because I think that, yeah. that, you know, the, the hearers for, for our sermons, you know, like it is good every once in a while to give a little bit of break, have a, t- you know, a tiny bit of levity that yep. carries that kind of like buys people or brings people back, gathers them back for a moment. Yep. And then we have some more serious stuff to say. No, that's exactly right. I think earlier on my preaching was an hour of just, you know, <laughs> straight intensity. Sure. I know. And, yeah. and that, be- and that becomes hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. That becomes hard to sort of stay clicked in. But most of us in conversation, we travel up and down the register, don't we? Right? There's something light, there's something heavy that we move in between. And I think our preaching needs to have that kind of rhythm too. Now, the, the, there is something important about these commercials though, and that's where you insert them, right? So there are, there are guys who will insert levity um, you know, when they're talking about things that are hard or heavy or unpopular. So you, you, you've just made some comments about hell because that's in the text and um, you know that people get squirmish. And so you, you make a little light joke there. That's the wrong place to do mm-hmm. that. That's the wrong place to do that, right? Um, so we don't want to have humor, for example, or sides become these discounting moments where, where, we, where we protect the people from the Bible. Let, let, let the weight of the Bible falls where God has put it, right? Because the other thing we believe is God spoke the word. This is his word, right? So let, let the weight fall where it should fall and let the levity fall where it should fall. Put it, put it in a different place. And, and there's much that's humorous in the Bible. I mean, there are just funny, funny things in the Bible. And so to bring those things forward um, as best we're able at the right place, I think is the art, um, is, is the discipline there. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I love the phrase. Yeah. We got to stop protecting people from, from the Bible, but you know, to, to let it speak and, and we should not try to mute it or turn the volume down. Uh, but, but even communicate in such a way that helps people to understand it. And then even acknowledges the the limitations of the human capacity to, to listen to a monologue, a, a serious monologue the whole time. Um, you know, you've in, in chapter one of your book, what is a healthy church member? Um, you speak about, um, expositional listening, which is kind of an interesting pair to what we're usually used to talking about, which is expositional preaching. Um, do you think there's ways that a a preacher can exposit in a way that helps people to listen to them? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I, and in fact, one of the reasons I'm committed to exposition is because I think it, good exposition teaches people how to read the Bible. Um, and so I think there are some things then that preachers ought to do, you know, with that in mind. Number one, I think we ought to make our points obviously connected to the text of scripture, right? Um, and to, and to just verbally say, you know, my first point is, you know, whatever it is, I get that from verses two to four, Yeah. right? Uh, and, and the key words in the point, you know, whatever it is rhetorically, homiletically, the key words in the point Hopefully they're coming. They're, they're the actual words used in the text, hmm. right? Um, so there we're teaching them something like, you know, notice that in verses seven to ten, um, the word holy is repeated, right? So you're teaching them something about repetition and to pay attention to repetition, or or notice in verse seven and verse ten, um, the the word sanctification is used. 
So, so the things that occur between seven and ten, you know, have to do with this idea of sanctification. So you're teaching them something about, you know, how to how to identify pericopes or, or paragraphs or um, the handle content. And so, I think even doing those things which can feel sometimes like it's insulting to people because as a preacher, you've been doing this as a trade for however long you think, Oh, that's obvious. I want to say the obvious, but no, it's actually stating those obvious things that, that most people find a lot of help in. And um, I think the way we structure our sermons, what we do rhetorically in our sermons should be teaching people what to pay attention to in the Bible, how to organize their thoughts um, from the biblical text. And, and it should be making kind of transparent where our thoughts are coming from, yeah. right, uh, as, as we preach in that way. Yeah, I've been using the, you know, kind of like the big idea uh, uh-huh. or, you know, the thesis statement. And so, yep. you know, make a statement and then kind of unpack that. You know, you have an opening sentence and then you kind of unpack that opening sentence. And that's that's valuable. That's, that's really good. I found that once I began adopting that that type of preaching, that I was spending less time with actual verses of the Bible. And I was, you know, essentially, I studied really hard, and I was I was sure that that sentence, that thesis sentence, is accurate, and then explaining that. And I actually, you know, subjected myself to listening to a, a sermon of mine, and I kind of realized, like, hey, this this makes a lot of sense if everyone's Bible is open, and right. if they if they right. dug as hard into the text during the week That's as right. I did. That's and, right. and the reality is that first thing might be true, the second thing isn't. That's and right. so I've I've been kind of pivoting. I, I keep with the big idea, but mm-hmm. yet I say, and, and now, you know, point two is this, and like what you were saying, and it's because of verse six and seven and nine, those have those things. So yeah, no, that's good. So so here's that's so good, man. That's so helpful um, because I think that's a that's a possibility in all of our preaching, right? Uh, because particularly if you're teaching larger chunks of scripture, there's there's the need to be efficient to sort of summarize at some yeah. level, right? And the risk of the summary is that um, we lose connection to you know, the verses, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so my litmus test is, and so I say to young guys that we're trying to preach here and whatnot, it's like the congregation, in, in the best sermon, the congregation should be able to replicate your sermon just with their Bible, right? They should be able to say, okay, yeah, here, here are the, the three points or two points or whatever to this sermon. Here's, here's the big idea. I like, I like that, that way of preaching. Um, they should be able to replicate what you said in terms of your main points. Just, you know, if you're expositing the text, yeah. just by looking at the text in that way. Um, and that requires that we keep our comments tethered sure, um, yeah. to the actual text of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, and so we're all we're all trying to get better. We all try. We all try, brother. Yeah. We all try, man. Yeah, we all try. I'm I'm not convinced. I've learned to preach yet. So that that's you know. So for my fellow strugglers out there, just know I'm I'm in that boat. I'm on the struggle bus with you. So. Wow. Well, you're, there's plenty of room on the struggle bus. Um, you know, I wanna I wanna honor your time in just a, a few a few minutes left. Um, like, could you give us like a like a super brief like summary of like your preparation routine? You're you're preaching through Mark at the moment. So what, what does like, what is preparing a sermon in Mark look like? Yeah, I, I prepare, uh, I, I, I preserve two days for sermon prep. Um, so working, working with roughly 12 to 16 hours there. Um, those two days are divided in basically into four quarters. Um, the first quarter, uh, first four hours is just reading and rereading the text and reading in different translations, um, getting a, a feel for the text and, and making observations. 
Um, the second quarter of the day is um, just dealing exegetically, uh, outlining the text, um, and then moving from exegetical outlines to uh, multiple homiletical outlines. So how, how would I preach this? And um, I try to think through a doctrinal approach, an evangelistic approach, hmm. uh, a pastoral approach, an apologetic approach, um, a Christ-centered approach um, alongside of exegetical things, right? So I, w- I want to think about different ways I might preach this text and, and be faithful. And if I end day one with all my exegetical work done and a couple of front runners for uh, homiletical outlines, I'm in a good position. I then give the homiletical outlines to my wife. And uh, okay, she comes, yeah. yeah. And so she comes back and says, uh, this one's really clunky. You know, this one, this one doesn't make any sense. This one, this one is on point. Um, and very often she's, she's choosing the sermon outline that I will use um, for the sermon. So the second day, day two, the first half of the day is writing the sermon. And the second half of the day is consulting the commentaries and uh, making any revisions or pulling in other quote material or, or things of that sort. If I can end uh, day two with a, a completed draft, uh, full manuscript, maybe even a second draft, then uh, it's been a very productive couple of days. Um, and is there a like a Sunday evening review process that takes place at Anacostia River Church, or is that not? We don't do Sunday evenings. We we do it in staff meetings. So we okay. have our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings okay. and um, periodically, Good. and we don't do it every week. Okay, uh, we do it we do it periodically um, because I, I I want to give my guys my team time to sort of breathe over the feedback. So when we give feedback, it tends to be accumulated over two or three sermons or two or three services. So we can mm. talk mm. we can talk about whether or not something was you know an isolated kind of oddity or whether or not something seems to be sort of patterned. Um, and that allows the person to, I think, sort of take on the feedback in a more meaningful way, right? Uh, doesn't feel like you're just being picked on and nitpicked to death, but it's like, oh, that has happened the last three weeks. Why is that happening? You know, uh, let's, let's focus on that. So. Well, that's, that's, a, that's valuable. And, and speaking of feedback, man, your wife sounds like, like a very valuable asset to the team oh, and has oh, had I'm just consistent, <laughs> this, this is consistency uh, in, in, yeah, getting things right in your life. Uh, she's the dopest person in the church, man. I, I married way up, and she's a very, very. She's, I tell people all the time, she's the best Bible teacher in our family. Wow! In uh, fact, hands down. In fact, could you could you get off? I'd like to speak to her instead. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. She would be happy to do it. She worked with the. You guys have the. Um, uh, oh gosh, Proclamation Trust. That's over right. There on that yeah. side of the water. Yeah, yeah. She worked with sort of the U.S. parallel of Simeon Trust. Yeah, uh, yeah. Here and uh, leading women's workshops on on Bible teaching and exposition. And uh, before that, years before that, worked with other sort of Bible study groups here in the states. And so she's, uh, yeah, she's a remarkable um, handler of God's word and, and encourager to me. Uh, she's my she's my biggest biggest fan and and, and sharpest critic. So mm-hmm. it's a good combination. Uh, well, that's like, well. I'm actually, I'm actually not joking. I'd love, I'd love to speak with her at some point. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Sure. So, kind of, maybe that, that's a good, good time to end this on. Um, it's kind of a, a preview of coming attractions <laughs> uh, is is coming up. But, uh, but yeah, thank you, thank you so very much for for your time. I, um, like I said, I have said, I've I've benefited from your preaching, and it's an honor to speak to you. And I'm excited for the, the listeners to to be able to learn from you as well. Well, brother, thank you for having me on. This went too fast, which means I was having fun. And, and <laughs> 
and thank and thank you for teaching me how to use GarageBand. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may it serve you well. You, I can't believe you've gotten through fifty three weeks of the of the pandemic, and there still is some tech stuff that you're figuring out. Well, like as you said, you, you give it over to your smart people. They make it look good, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, excellent. Well, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective help you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Amen. Amen. That's a lot of fun, brother. Yes, yes, yeah. It's a lot of fun. So thanks again uh, to Tabidi for your time, your openness, your willingness to share uh, the various um, aspects and parts of your life that have brought you uh, thus far. Hopefully it helps us in our personal study and our public proclamation of God's word. And uh, he just mentioned at the end uh, the importance of uh, passing off things to smarter people, uh, those people who can handle the uh, audio, visual, and all that. So for all the sound guys and sound girls, uh, we do just want to acknowledge you. Um, I specifically want to acknowledge uh, James Reitmer, who has been um, editing and posting these uh, for the past while, and also to Joseph Ramirez, who's been helping behind the scenes as well. Um, uh, again, this pandemic, these these times, uh, we realize how necessary and needed uh, these uh, smart, tech-oriented people um, truly, really are. So we bless you. We appreciate you. Uh, that's one thing. Second thing is that um, I am trying my hardest to uh, to get. Christy Anuabile on the show one day. Um, so nothing is set in stone yet, but I meant it and I've been pursuing and hopefully the time will come when you'll be able to hear an interview with um, with allegedly the best preacher in the Anuabile household. So uh, we'll see about that. That's something for you to definitely make sure that you're subscribed for. So when that comes out, you get it automatically delivered to your phone or to your device. All right. Next Tuesday is one of my uh, favorite episodes yet. Um, this was scheduled to come out later in the summer, but I, I switched some things around so that you'll be able to hear my conversation with Scott Erickson, uh, a very uh, different type of thinker and communicator than most of us. And so for that reason, you definitely are going to want to listen and learn from this conversation with Scott Erickson. I'm going to leave you with a clip from next Tuesday's episode. All right. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. For me, my greatest muse in teaching is to go, it's not a story that's happening back then. It's a story that's still happening today. Like it happened back then, but it's still happening today. Meaning like God was doing something in the world and it was recorded in this passage. And that same living God is, is working in that in a similar way now in our lives. And can we, can we use this passage to excavate that spirit that's alive today? That that for me is like the gold, you know, is, is, is for, a, a an audience or a listener or a participant to come away from the time I lead or, or kind of be the facilitator of to go, I now see God in my midst, or at least it gives me a way to go. Oh yeah. I see how this is. Oh yeah. I see how this is a, a, a like 
pulling something out of me right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that in a way is like, we kind of do the work and we just kind of hand it off to them and be like, great, <laughs> continue on and continue the conversation all yeah. week long or however long you need to. I just here, to, I was here to set up the meeting and that's, uh, that's what I did. Thank you.